Well, just like Vladimir Putin just announced that they will accomplish their goals in Ukraine. And to be clear, their goal is to denazify Ukraine. Jerome Powell has a goal for the markets, and that is to maintain maximum employment and have stable prices and not have a recession, which would probably lead to not maximum employment. In other words, lots of layoffs, okay? We get a real recession. The layoffs we saw last year will prove to have been a joke. That'll be like the little, okay, we picked up the spare coffee mugs around the office and cleaned a little bit. An actual like deep cleaning, you don't want to go there. It's not great for the economy, but it usually happens late. It's a lagging indicator. It's not great for forward-looking data. Despite this though, and of course, markets are going to be very tentative today, given that tomorrow jobs data comes out. Jobs data coming out tomorrow is expected to show 170,000 job gains. And if the ADP report is anything to give us an indicator as how as to how the jobs report tomorrow is going to go, it is that we have absolutely no idea. The ADP report, like, in, in this last cycle, has been completely off from what the actual jobs report has done. And so that does create a risk that tomorrow we actually end up getting a hot government jobs report, something over 170. And what happens in that case? <whistles> Stocks down, yields up. It's simple. Everyone's played the game before. But what happens if that number actually starts aligning with ADP and we get a weak jobs report tomorrow? could be a sign that maybe, just maybe, the Fed's finally done. And could that be what sets yields off to finally start falling? Well, we've got a little bit of data on the history of what happens with bonds and stocks. find this quite fascinating. Look at this. Historically, bond sell-offs end up with big rallies. Let's uh, explain this in English here, okay? So, uh, if you go all the way back to 1962, that's about 61 years. There have only been 15 times that the bond market has actually sold off for five months in a row. Think about that for a moment. Going back 61 years, you've only seen as bad of a bond market sell-off as we just had 15 times. And usually in the 30 days thereafter, you end up with bond yields coming down and bond prices coming up again. So you get like a you know bond rally. Uh, that's on average about 30 basis points here. However, you get mixed data six months later. In other words, like, yeah, we don't really know what this signals going forward for the next six months. What we do know, though, is that stock performance has a pretty clear outline. And this might look overwhelming, but all you have to do is look at this is a measure of bond sell-offs during these times. And so we look at how severe are the bond sell-offs. And three to six months out, stock market's a little mixed during these periods of bond sell-offs. But if you really want to know what happens a year out, all you have to do is look at the average at the bottom. So look at this average at the bottom right here, and you get a 10.1% typical average return for the stock market when you average together all of these previous cycles where bonds have sold off. So in other words, if you're that long-term stock investor, there is historical data to suggest after these sort of crazy bond cycles, you do end up getting some relief in the stock market as well. At the same time, we're also seeing commodities relief. And you look at uh, oil right now, oil uh, down uh, right off of its 95 peak, another 1.36% today. We're down now at 84.64 on Brent, 83 on WTI. Pretty remarkable drop. 
It's almost as remarkable as the drop that Rivian's having. Although I will say, covered Rivian's finances yesterday. We went through some of their details. Their cash burn is less than it used to be. They're still spending about $136 per $100 of revenue they get in gross profit, which is gross loss. So they're still losing money. And then you take off OPEX, they're still burning money. So it's no surprise that they want to raise $1.5 billion. I mean, this is a duh. You have to, that's that's why you want to be public, right? It's so you can, you can raise money from your shareholders and you have liquidity for your employees or for uh, for executives at a company to be able to sell shares and, and, and share in the growth of the company with others. But when you have a company like Rivian, you're really asking shareholders to share in the startup costs of the company. And that's what's happening. Kind of much like VinFast, except I, I, I kind of think that VinFast is at like a scary, like scammy kind of level. And I've been bagging on this company since it was memeing and, and talking and complaining about how this company is a ripoff. But let me just tell you, they just released earnings and they're even worse than I thought. This company literally has $131 million of cash. They burn a billion dollars of cash in a quarter which means they really only have about two weeks of cash left. And I know people are like, oh, but they've got $897 million of inventories. Bro, their free cash flow negative. They are burning more cash than they are making. This company has two weeks of cash left. This is absolute trash. Uh, you know, and that is, of course, they've got three choices. Their related parties could sort of delay some of the due dates on their current liabilities. Maybe other other current liabilities could give them some flexibility. Maybe they could raise money like debt or equity like uh, Rivian is doing. But, you know, with only like 2% of the stock outstanding uh, and a lot of really weird related party interests, this company is very, very questionable. So I've got my concerns about VinFast substantially more than Rivian. I would go all in on Rivian way before I would ever put a dollar in VinFast. And let's just say I own no Rivian stock. So look, it's really obvious that we're going through uncertain times, but the good news is in this uncertainty, you can invest in house hack. We've probably got about two weeks left of the fundraise and then we're likely closing the doors. TBD on exactly the date, we'll announce that. But go to househack.com to learn more because we're raising at a one-to-one -one valuation, which is exceptionally rare for startups. Uh, that means you're basically investing at cash value, minus obviously some of the fees that it costs us to actually fundraise. But uh, this is a great opportunity, in my opinion. You have to evaluate those risks yourself. Check out the offering circular at househack.com. Learn about the company. It's a great opportunity, in my opinion. You should evaluate that for yourself. And also go to meetkevin.com to check out those Noobverse Pro crash courses. We just added some more, 89 bucks. We expect those prices to double when the courses are actually live. So get in on the pre-sale while we're making the content. So what do we have to talk about now? It is, of course, Black Monday, how nobody wants to remember 1987, but then there's 1916 and blah, 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 blah. Basically, here's an article in Bloomberg that's been circulating a lot. A lot of people have been asking for my opinion on this. And really what the article does is say, says, okay, look, let's put in a blue line what 10-year treasury yields did going all the way to 1987. And what you could see is you had this run up to 1987 and all of a sudden you had a Black Monday market crash and those treasury yields came crashing down, but so did the stock market. And our path looks eerily similar to what happened back then. In fact, it's not just our path uh, on the actual uh, yield curve or 10-year or, or, or treasury yield chart. It's also right here. The black line is the NASDAQ today. 
okay? The blue line is the Dow Jones Industrial Average back then. And uh, you can see that crash is pretty dang painful. And it does make you wonder, uh-oh, uh is it possible that we could be in for some real painly doodlaw? Now, I do think it's worth noting that this chart is possibly a little deceiving because it ignores all of the pain that happened last year. And you know me, I'm a big fan of perspective, okay? Yesterday, I was building Legos with Jack and, uh, you know, the manual kind of had like the pieces at an angle like this and it made it look like the piece behind it was totally flush, but it wasn't, it was sticking out. And he's like, oh, dad, I, I couldn't really tell because of the, the angle on the paper. Uh, and I'm like, well, if you hold the Lego kind of like this, doesn't it look the same, right? And this is perspective. And he's like, isn't that an optical illusion? I go, no, it's perspective. And you could learn perspective in the Noobverse Pro crash courses. And he's like, okay, dad, I know. I know the price is gonna be double when they actually come out. Okay, so what's the perspective? The perspective right here is that this Bloomberg article, this opinion piece right here, is actually only showing you this year. Okay, and they talk about how spooky this year is. But wait a minute, what happened in the year prior to this chart? Well, let's find out. In the year prior to this chart, so where is this? This is 1987, here's January of 1987. What they're showing you on that Bloomberg chart is literally from where the line is right now through this crash, through basically, you know, uh, the, the right about here, which is about the end of the year. They're showing you all of 1987. but. What's worth noting is the stock market literally ran straight up for three years leading up to that crash. I mean, look at that. July of 1984 to September, August 1987, three years of straight up stock market rally. And now you're trying to suggest that our NASDAQ today is going to crash because just this part relates? Wait a second, wait a second. What did our NASDAQ do last year? Well, let's find out. We go to QQQ, go to the week chart. Oh, crap. Our NASDAQ had a big crash last year. And how convenient. You totally left the whole crash of 2022 out of your chart because you decided, you know what? It's gonna be a lot easier for me to make a comparison to the Black Monday crash, the big doom and gloom crash, if I just happened to cut out the fact that the stock market basically went straight up for three years prior to the Black Monday crash. Whereas we literally just came out of a massive correction in 2022. The low of 2022 literally reset our stock values back two years. So these comparisons to Black Monday of 1987 are just clickbait nonsense. But to give the article credit, they go a little bit deeper. And you know me, I like to go deep, okay? Especially if I could find really strong, big PP pricing power at companies. Mm, it's gotta be big. We gotta go deep, okay? We want pricing power. That's what we're looking for at companies. It's hard in an environment when rates are this huge. It's very hard, okay? There's a lot of volatility. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of doubt. But look at this. The article on Black Monday literally goes on to talk about, well, there was a time that the 10-year treasury yield did skyrocket and the stock market didn't crash, and that was during the taper tantrum of 2013. 
Oh, how interesting. We basically had another seven to eight to nine years of basically, eh, more like eight years, straight stock market gains from 2013 on. So are we really going to get yields drive our decision to invest or not in the stock market when it's unclear that a Black Monday is ahead of us, A. B, the taper tantrum of 2013 gives us a like, well, it could be either or. But even better, when we actually look at stock performance during periods of massively skyrocketing uh, bond yields, yes, there's volatility, but when you go 12 months out, what do you get? Well, 12 months out, you get an average 10% return over history in the stock market 12 months out. So in other words, I'm a big fan of suggesting, look, you find your opportunities as usual. There's always gonna be FUD. Who's gonna be Speaker of the House? Is it gonna be Donald T? I don't think so. Look, if Donald T becomes the Speaker of the House, he will lose the election. That is not me being bullish or bearish on Donald Trump. I'm just saying, you, like, you, you don't go from Speaker to President. It is the most thankless job that exists. Like, you are stuck between literally a rock and a hard place. There's no way, it would be stupid. Trump doesn't need that anyway. He just needs to keep showing up at court and going, this is a, a weaponization of the justice system. And then he, he had to, all the advertising is done for him, like him or not. Uh, now we got to talk about the Daily Wealth Newsletter. This is a really good one today. We got to talk about it right after I mentioned this video is brought to you by StreamYard. Go to metkevin.com StreamYard and understand the beautiful, delicious streaming software that you can get in a browser anywhere you are and actually have high quality streaming, be able to put banners up on screen, uh, put banners around the screen, inter throw up, uh, put banners around the screen, throw up chat comment. I mean, it is a phenomenal platform. Every single creator should use it, not just creators, but people who are trying to get started, trying to record video with an easy to use recording software. You can use it offline too. It's not just for streaming. So go to metkevin.com streamyard to learn more. So daily wealth. Today, we're gonna talk about chaos theory. Mm. Right. So Chaos Theory is, a first of all, a video game. Uh, it's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. It's a phenomenal game. I love that game. But there's also another form of Chaos Theory, and I learned this uh, in law. Chaos Theory in law is when an attorney who's fighting another attorney every day peppers the opposing counsel with filings and requests and distractions and comments and complaints. You literally want the other person to look at their phone and go, oh, how am I gonna sort all this? Oh my God. You could actually apply chaos theory to your life because the person who applies chaos theory is generally the person who's in control. It's actually to some degree, some of the stuff that Donald Trump does. When everything's in chaos, the person causing the chaos is the one in control. They hold all the power. So. That's the legal example. How do you apply this to your life? You apply this to your life by creating chaos theory at every different part of your life, whether it's the organization in your desk, whether it's the organization in your bedroom, whether it's the organization in uh, the way you do your emails or your phone, you just delete everything and restart. Every single time you cause chaos, you take everything, you throw it into the pile and you rebuild it, whether it's a fresh wipe on your phone, on your computer, your desk, or your closet, whatever it is. Every time you rebuild, the next, even though that takes effort, the next time you go to use the items that you just chaos theoried, or the processes that you just chaos theoried, it will almost always, hands down, virtually guaranteed, 
be better, more efficient, simpler to use, more organized, you'll save time. So the investment you make by chaos theorying different parts of your life actually makes you a much more efficient person going forward. Now, if you want more tips like that, make sure to sign up for the daily wealth email. It's totally free. It's linked down below. A lot of links down below. Househack, meetkevin.com, StreamYard, the wealth email. Check out the links down below. Appreciate you watching this and we'll see you in the next one. Goodbye. Do not advertise these things that you told us here. I feel like nobody else knows about this. We'll, we'll try a little advertising and see how it goes. Congratulations, man. You have done so much. People love you. People look up to you. Kevin Pafrath there, financial analyst and YouTuber. Meet Kevin. Always great to get your take.